my question is why are, why are you late today? Oh, because I'm drunk? <laughs> no, because I messed up the location. No, it's because you're fucking drunk. <laughs> You've got a drinking problem, Maggie, and we need to address it. That's I what this podcast is really about. I do not. How dare you? <laughs> I invited How dare you accuse me of being an alcoholic? I just like alcohol. Uh-huh. A lot. Do you drink every morning? Not every. <laughs> I have a stash that I really like. Not I on drink s- when I'm happy. Not when, not on Sunday. Not when you go to church. Well, <laughs> first of all, I don't go to church. Mm. Bless me. And I'm a freelancer. <laughs> it doesn't matter if it's a Wednesday or Sunday. Mm. Is a freelancer, is that like code for you just like to drink alone? Is that what that means? Uh, yeah, that's my lifestyle, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> this is my friend Maggie, and she's going to be helping me host this episode. Who are you? Well, my name is Maggie, and I live and work in Shanghai at the moment as a freelancer. I do documentary production, translation, interpretation, and business-related research and writing. So I just want to ask you, where are you from? I'm from Lianyungang, which is a seaside city in Jiangsu province. How far away is that from where, where we are right now? My hometown doesn't have high-speed trains, so the slow train it would take about 12 hours. By bus, it would be seven hours from Shanghai. And that's, I mean, just to show you the scope of how big China actually is, you're talking about a place that's in the next province over. It's yeah. right, Jiangsu is right next to Shanghai. Right next to it. How did, tell me how you grew up. I grew up in a town that's got about 2,000 people that mm-hmm. has only one kindergarten, one primary school, one junior high. Mm-hmm. And, and how would you describe your specific town, like economically speaking? Well, my hometown, Liangang, judging by the geographical features, you would think it's a really well-developed city. It oversees Korea and Japan just by a bend of the water. But within the 14 cities in Jiangsu province, economic-wise, it's actually the worst. So not exactly a first or even second-tier city. What was it like for you growing up? It was a lot of fun. So I grew up not really being forced to study really, really hard. I was playing the field, jumping off the walls, climbing up the trees, getting uh, frog legs to get the crayfish in the river. You know, all kinds of fun things that you do in the rural side. Oh my God, that's so Jiangsu, is the crayfish. They love the crayfish. Yeah, yeah. they don't even have professional gears or anything. It's just like a piece of string. Um, you know, tied up, uh, tied up a, a frog leg. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. They use so the frog legs are the bait then. Yeah, because it's tender meat. So you live here now. Yep. Are you glad to be away from home? Of course, because I have the option. I can always go back whenever I want. I mean, to visit. But again, I can actually live here in Shanghai, which has way more entertainment, way more career opportunities, and everything. I guess I'm more glad with the fact that I have options. What about you? I mean, you're far away from home. Yeah, I'm about a 12-hour plane flight away from home. (laughs) What's your story? What got you here? So, actually, I'm from Ridgefield, Connecticut, and we can talk about that more later. Uh, But it's nothing, nothing at all like China. But I have a more relevant experience is that um, I actually lived in a small city uh, for about four years called Zhangjiagang, which is also in Jiangsu. So I'm pretty familiar with your home province, Maggie. And it's like a very nice, prosperous, friendly, and clean little city. Um, I just wanted to get away from there because I wanted more opportunity. I wanted 
a better lifestyle because you know the lifestyle there in a small city in China is kind of limited in a lot of ways. <clears throat> so the reason I'm sort of interrogating you, Maggie, is because the questions I'm asking you are actually the same questions I'm going to be asking the two people we're going to be featuring on this podcast. This is going to be a two-part series called Far From Home. And we're going to explore not only how people get so far away from their own homes. Obviously, you and me are good examples of people who get far from home. But we're also going to explore just people's homes, where they're from, what their life has been like. We released part one this week. And next week, not in two weeks, next week we'll be releasing part two. The first part, we're going to talk about their childhood. And then the second part, we're going to talk about growing up and moving far away, moving to new places. I think it's a good opportunity for our listeners because I think a lot of people don't actually understand what the process of growing up is like in China. Right. And their triumphs of challenges in their formative years will give us a glimpse into the actual childhood and teenage years of what it's like to be growing up in China. Um, I think it's important to note, like, we're going to see there's a lot of similarities between their stories and there's a lot of differences between their stories. But these are two people that don't know each other. They're not, like, related in any way. I just... I met these two people and they both had compelling stories. So I just wanted to share them like that. Right. I think it's partially coincidental, but also in a way says it's kind of representative of how middle class kids grew up in China, too. And we're calling this episode Far From Home. It's going to be like an examination of somebody's full life story and the circumstances that push and pull you further away from home. All of the voices on this podcast, right, Maggie, like you, me, the two people we talk to, we're all really far from home. And I think it's important to examine how we got so far from home. And these two people that we talk to got physically far away from home, of course. But also mentality-wise, they developed a very unique personality during the course of time when they were far from home and seeking for further experiences. Chapter 5. Far From Home, Part 1. Let's get to know their life first, and then we can see how they gradually ended up being so far away from home. Well, let's let's meet who we're talking to. So um, I'll just ask you by telling me what's your name. Billy Lingfeng, actually. Uh, English spells L-I-N-F-E-N-G-L-I. L-I is my last name, and I go by that name. Yeah, my name is Sui. I'm from Gansu. Um, and what's your hometown? Pingliang. Yeah, it's a very small town. It has a population around maybe less than 2 million. I was born in a place called Guiyang. It's a city, the capital city of Guizhou. That's southwest of, uh, of China, between Sichuan province and Yunnan province. So those are our two people, Li and Sui. Li is from Guiyang, which is the capital of the province Guizhou. And Sui is from Pingliang in Gansu province. What's interesting about these two places is that they're actually the two poorest provinces in China. But let's start with Sui and Pingliang. It's high in terms of yeah. altitude, right? But it's also flat on the... Yeah, it got, got mountains in my, my town. It was actually a very famous mountain for Doism, Kongtongshan. Yeah, like a caves, and then people live in, inside it. Used to. Right now, you still see the structure. It's empty. It's it like abandoned for right now. Yeah. But when I was young, some people were still living inside it. I, I for sure visited. So I actually went online and found a video about Pingliang. 
Um, and then I recorded it. And then I got my friend Mike, who's like a great writer and a great critic, to come in and do the voiceover for it. Located in the east of Gansu, in the foothills of the Liupan Mountains, at the upper reaches of the Jinghe River, in the heart of the lowest plateau, the weather is dry half the year and rainy half the year. In the northeast, there are tall peaked mountains, and in the southeast, there are rolling hills. Historically, Kongtongshan was a place of historical importance as a part of a strategic western pass on the Silk Road. Okay, just give me a little perspective here. How far away actually is Pingliang, Sui's hometown? Well, in everyone's subconscious, it's freaking far away. But specifically, it's 26 hours by a slow train. Right. So you like by slow train, your your town's like 12. Hers is 26 hours away. Right. Wow. Jesus. So, Maggie, what what is your impression of like Pingliang in Gansu province? Two things came to my mind. One, the beautiful natural scenery, and another thing is poverty, because Gansu province is one of the poorest provinces in China. But I can't believe that you didn't mention the fact that the Yellow Emperor himself visited a Taoist god during his time at Kongtongshan. You definitely sound very knowledgeable, Clay. <laughs> I don't think I've read enough about my own country. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah, I grew up in an apartment building all the time. My parents, me and my sister. My sister is eight years younger than me. Was that illegal? Uh, it, was, it was illegal at that time, but right now I think it's fine. <laughs> what do you know about one-child policy? Well, I know it's illegal to have two kids under the one-child policy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no sh- Sherlock. Well, having another child for me seems to mean that you gotta be pretty wealthy. Yeah, that's right, because if you have a second child, the penalty is that you have to pay something like a 10% of your income fine for the year that you birthed the child. Sui's family wasn't a family that had no means, even if she is from a very poor part of China. Why did your why did your parents choose to have two kids? Maybe they wanted they wanted a boy. <laughs> uh, also, my father was in business. When I was at the age of eight, they probably found f- f- felt our family financial situation is good enough to afford another kids. All right, let's move on to Lee's story. Guiyang is is where my childhood memories located. I was born there. I went to elementary school there, year one though. And but every summer and winter breaks, we'll go back to um, to Guiyang. All right. So Lee's from Guiyang, and we've used this metric this whole time of the train, the slow train. So by slow train, how long does it take to get to Guiyang? You know, just twenty-one hours. Oh yeah, just a <laughs> just a quick one. Yeah. <laughs> So again, I got Mike to uh, voice over this video about Guiyang. I got the feeling of being in Chongqing with a forest of overpasses and a chaotic mess of houses strewn about in disorderly profusion. The first day I went to Qianling Mountain Park. It's one of Guiyang's 4A rated scenic areas. Of course, they're going to have a rating for scenic areas. <sighs> the thing that gave me the deepest impression was the park's monkeys. That's all that they say. Yeah, that's all they say. Where's the deep impression? Tell me more about the monkeys. Anywho, when you get to the top of the mountain, you can see all of Guiyang. You can see, wow, Guiyang's very developed. There are mountains in the middle of the city. There is city in the middle of the mountains. 
伤中有成，成中有伤。We didn't live in the city. We we lived in、uh, in a university town. Which is far away now. It's partial of this, you know, the, the city now. But back in the days, like a countryside, so it's pretty pure environment. I would say, mostly students. Otherwise, the faculties and the the families of the faculties will be living around the university town. And I grew up there. Lots of mountains, trees. I remember we playing in the、uh, in the river as well, climbing trees. We pick wild peaches, berries. Yeah, it was、uh, really nice. Without any video games, no phones, just hang out with the kids around. That was fun, fun, I would say. Um. So, what were you like as a kid? I don't have the picture anymore, but I do remember that. I think it's either in Guiyang or Zhuhai. She told me that when I was little, I would usually dress up at home. Yeah. And I remember there's this jeans、uh, jacket and the pants as well, and then I, I love it so much, and I wear it. It cannot be a sports shoe, not the white one. It has to be a leather shoe, a pair of leather shoes. I usually dress like that.、Yeah. I don't know where it comes from.、Uh, yeah. I think for me maybe it's a OCD thing. I want everything matches. I'm OCD,、yeah. and I like things in places, and I like things that in the place I like. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. I like things in places, so I more like oh, I can control it, so I know where they are.、Um, maybe that's the reason. So what I gather from him as like a kid, he was like very particular, and he had like a very solid idea about where things should be ordered, where things should go. You know what I mean? Yeah. And here's what Sui had to say about her childhood personality. I was a very brief kid since very very young. That's like very natural. Like when I was even five, four or five, I went for horse riding with my brother, like older brother. Hold on, really quickly. She doesn't mean older brother there. Yeah, yeah. Because in China we call our cousins or just friends brothers. Yeah, she only has one sister. Let's just make that clear. She only has one sibling. <laughs>、uh, he he was he's a boy, right? He was crying. He was very afraid. I can just、uh, like、uh, he was crying, so everyone just.、Uh, Paying attention to him, and they all neglected me. When they turn around, I'm already on the back of the horse. You know, <laughs> I was only like three or four, like with the help of the other person, right?、Yeah. So that is probably just in my blood. I was very brave. She was describing that brother crying and getting all the attention, but she, on the other hand, didn't need any help and got on it successfully. This is very typical of Chinese girls. Is that In our way of getting attention is by behaving very well and excelling than boys in many many ways. This is our way of winning.、Uh, I remember maybe when I was like three to five, my dad brings me to amusement park every day, every day.、Really? Yeah, and one day he was late from work, but he still brought me to the amusement park. What's the amusement? Like you mean like, like just a normal park maybe. Like the playground. The playground, yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting to park, you have to pay. And my dad was paying that every day. My dad was bringing me to playground every day. And one day,、um, my dad was late from work. So when we reached there, door was closed. The guy didn't allow us to get in. I remember my dad begged the guy and told him, "I can pay you more." Just get us in. I was so little. I was like three or four. 
But I remember that thing. I remember the door. I remember that guy. I remember what my dad said. I was so touched because my dad would pay extra and even beg the door doorman just get me in to play on the playground. It's the love. It's always the love, the security. But I do remember that whenever it's um, Chinese New Year, and um, it's also associated with food as well. When we cook a lot, right? And this is the time when Dad would be cooking, and there's one dish that he's really uh, uh, known for. It's called la zhi ji. La zhi ji. His style is cook with beer. You warm the oil, put in the ginger, garlic, and also Chinese chive, the green onions, and you cook it. Put in the chicken. Let some of the water come out, evaporate, and then you put in beer, and then you put in the uh, oil chili in there, and this makes the meat really, really tender at the end of it, the cooking process, and uh, it smells really good too, and tastes really good. It tastes good because you know when it when it's being cooked, we try several times and see if it's uh, tender enough and everything. When it comes to the table, half of them are gone. The way that you describe it so well was cooking like a really big part of your life growing up. Cooking, yes, family cooking, home cooking. So I have a question for you.、Um, what's a point in your childhood that was like a very defining moment? Some challenge, some adversity that you faced that like you feel like defines who you are. For me, was when I was about twelve years old. My mom was diagnosed with some weird diseases that didn't have a ready cure at that time. And that was the moment when I realized I had to grow up, not only to take care of myself, but also my mom. So I think that moment was quite transformative for me. What about you, Clay? I mean, I think it's almost cliche, but like my parents' divorce. My parents got divorced when I was about six years old. Yeah, I just remember, you know, waking up one morning and my dad saying he was going to leave, and you know, I think that definitely made me a much more sensitive and independent person. The reason I ask is because both Sui and Lee both had experiences like this that were really formative in their early childhood that maybe helped set their course for the rest of their life. When you think about your hometown, do you have like positive feelings about it, or do you have negative feelings? About negative feelings about it.、Uh, that that is meaning because my personal story. It's not.、Uh, I don't think it is very related to my hometown. Itself, but for me, it's because I was very bad at school. I was a bad student. You know, as a student, if you're not good at your study, you just、uh, totally you're a failure. You know, you <laughs> you 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 are not respected. I wasn't ha- having good time. Okay, so Sui talks about being a bad student. We'll we'll get into why in just a second. Why she became such a bad student? Because she's a very intelligent person. The way that I understand Chinese education is that if you come from a family that doesn't necessarily have means, your one real way to be valued by the broader society is to go through the education system and to succeed and to prove yourself by being such a good student. Is that is that a correct view? Would you say? Well, Clay, I think you're oversimplifying this idea a little bit. The education system is definitely one of the ways, but not the only way to improve the financial situation. But to be actually gaining respect and elevate your social classes, the education system is the major way. Because in China, social classes are tightly intertwined with education level. Someone like Sui, who grew up in a well-off family, money is not the major concern. The major concern is for her to grow. 
as a well-respected social human being. Unfortunately for people in China, like one of the few ways to a sense of respectability is through education. Yeah, blue-collar workers, no matter how high your position is, will still lack that kind of sense of security. Like in America, if you're bad at school, you are getting Fs in all your classes, Ds and Fs, Cs. Yeah, I'm like that. Really, like, like that. Like, like in our, our class, we probably have. 60 students. I rank maybe between 50 to 60. Wow, really? Yes, like among girls, because usually girls' uh, grades are better than guys, right? Yeah. I'm the last one or the second last one. <laughs> I was, I was last one or second last one. So if we look at Sui's story, her grades dropped because she started to have this sense of insecurity because of the arrival of her younger sister. It was a traumatic. Experience for her, and she felt her attention and love were taken away. Why? Why do you think you had so much trouble at school? Uh, that is bring bring up another story. Uh, because when I my sister was born when I was eight. After my sister was born, I felt my my parents won't love me anymore. They they will give all the love to my sister. As a kid, I probably lost the security, so I wasn't be able to concentrate anymore. I was living in worry every day. Like every day after school, it takes me like one hour to go home. Although it only, if you really straight go from school to home, it's only ten minutes. I just wander around, wander around and around and around. Even I, after I reach home, because we were living on the floor one, I just climb on the window and see what are they doing in the home, like how they are treating my sister. Yeah, I don't think I was comfortable or in the state of. Feel safe, being loved, and I can so that I can concentrate on my study.、Uh, my my parents, I I don't think they have handled it well either because they didn't tell me I'm gonna have a sister, and my mom's pregnancy not not obvious at least, so I didn't notice. It's just one day all of a sudden I I woke up in the morning I find my parents are not in the home and only my grandmother is is in my parents' bedroom. I was saying, where's my dad and mom? And my grandmom told me, oh, they are in hospital, and you have a sister right now. I was like, what? All of a sudden, I just have a sister. Yeah. I went to school that day without my school bag, so I just、uh, like a ghost. I lost my mind. I lost my spirit. I went to school, and then after I reached school,、uh, teacher asked me, Hey, Sui, where's your school bag? Where's your, where's your bag? I said. Oh, I don't have my bag, and I went back to get my 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 bag again. And then my my dad just come back from hospital to get something for my mom. I was trying to talk to my dad. I remember very clearly. Just ask what is going on, why I have a sister, and my dad was too busy and too engaged, wasn't paying attention. I wasn't talking to me. I don't think my parents really treated me treated me differently because of the sister, but somehow I just don't feel secure anymore. And and the, my relatives like to make stupid jokes. Like they were telling me, "Oh,、uh, Sui, you you have a sister right now. Your parents won't love you." You know, those kind of jokes are just <laughs> not jokes for kids. You know, <laughs> yeah. Sui really seemed to be traumatized by this idea. I mean, it's like it's like sad imagining her poor little eight-year-old self like. Walking around outside, like looking in on the happy family that her parents were, like, what, 
Why wouldn't they tell Sui that she was going to have a sister? What is that about? Well, in Sui's、yeah. case, it's possible that the parents didn't think they need permission to、uh, in order to have a younger sister for Sui. It's also might be they didn't figure out quite the way to tell her, so they just can't permanently delay it. They think they can make a better decision for their kids. Right. And they don't need to know about it. I think. I think maybe also just sort of,、um, just sort of like avoiding the awkward. I feel like there's a lot of that in China. It's just、mm-hmm. like I don't. I don't want to confront something that is like uncomfortable to say. But the overall effect here is that it kind of threw her off, as we'll see going forward, for the rest of her childhood, and that her grades were always bad, and that she continued to be a poor student throughout. I can never finish my homework. You know, there's tons of homework. I, I used to work until eleven,、uh, even twelve p.m. I still can't finish my homework. Maybe because I w- wasn't very efficient, because I can't concentrate. That is really the very serious problem. Yeah, it was just the, like the eighteen, the first eighteen years of my time, my life, just wasn't fun. After sort of an idyllic. Childhood in Guiyang. Right when Li was about eight years old, he moved away to Zhuhai. Well, I don't know much about Zhuhai, but I know the language spoken there is Cantonese. And guess what? Li speaks Mandarin. You'd think like the language barrier there would be like the first problem that he faced, but actually it wasn't. He faced another very only child kind of problem. Thinking back on your childhood, like your early childhood, do you have any like bad memories of that that time? Growing up, yes, in Zhuhai specifically. When I moved to Zhuhai, because the family registration,、um, it has to be a local family registration for you to go to a kindergarten. Okay, so quickly, he mentions the huko. What is the huko? The huko system basically means you are registered to the city wherever you're born in, and it's not that easy to move or change that registration system. But if you're not registered in a particular city, it's not easy to get access to benefits for employment and education as such. Basically, if you want to move to a more developed city for your kids' education, you can move still as an immigrant, but still your record will stay in your hometown, and the city you move to does not take care of you as your hometown does. And there's a lot of problems with that in China, where you know there's a, a lot of workers who live in Shanghai, for instance, who are not counted towards the official population because they they're enticed to come work here, but they don't actually they're not actually registered to live in the city. So I couldn't go to school, any of the kindergarten. So I stay at home most of the time, and then I I think mom is kind of afraid that I won't get enough uh, uh, nutrition. So every night. She fed me with、uh, she fed me with the、uh, milk with sugar. So in two months, when I get back to see all my relatives, they were like, "Oh wow, you you look like a balloon now." So I get you know、yeah. bigger, bigger, and fatter and fatter. And then I think that's the starting point when I get、uh, kind of obese in the beginning, and then later on develop really heavy weight.、Um, I remember when I was in high school, the last year of high school, I think around eighteen, nineteen years old. My weight was around 90 kilogram, 92 kilogram. That's around 200 pounds, if I remember correctly.、Yeah. Um, so, w- with my height, I am 170 me- centimeters, about five、uh, foot seven.、Mm-hmm. It's just too much for me. And、uh, I remember in school, I、uh, be in school, 
kids would be laughing at me, or the fat kid, you know, being called the fat kid. That's not the only thing they would say. Oh, you can't do this because you're fat. You can't do that because you're fat, and it gives you the image of oh, you're not worthy. So I think that's the the thing that I dealt with a lot even till today. To think back, you know, the、uh, the impact that has、um, on me、uh, when I grow up. Um, as a former fat kid and as a current sort of fat adult, I can definitely sympathize. I have an Italian family, so there's a very similar pressure. Every time you go to like Nona's house, and she's like, "Eat up your meatballs or whatever," and every time you finish a dish, they they want to fill it back up for you.、Um, and there's definitely that sense in China as well. Definitely, Chinese parents, or maybe not parents, but older generations, they always have this. Tendency to hush you to eat more, drink more, even drink more alcohol. They don't feel the need to respect whether you actually need to eat or not. No matter for girls or boys, maybe boys especially, because traditionally Chinese people think generally fatter shows you're from a well-off family and you're well-fed. There's a phenomenon now in China that they call the little emperor, and like the one, the only child, the boy, is treated like this little king. There's this dynamic of. Grandparents and parents feeding their overfeeding their kids because they want quote unquote to give them the best, but mostly they're just giving them the most. Traditionally speaking, grandparents especially would think a fat looking kid is good fortune. Well, yeah. What's your what was your mom so worried about? Like, like what was her thought process behind? Like, I really need him to get bigger. I'm the、uh, only child in my family.、Yeah. I think that puts a lot of weight on it already.、Um, they want me to. Get well,、yeah. be well.、Um, I think the second thing probably has to do with her own childhood when she grew up. Maybe there isn't enough food on the table, and nowadays people can afford more. So why not have the best? Maybe it's also because that she、um, she has the wrong information where she read things about nutrition, what people should eat, what kids should eat. Maybe she got it wrong.、Yeah. Mm. So what's it? Tell me, what's the difference about being a fat kid in China than being a fat kid, like let, let's say in the states? Like, why is it worse here? Um, I th- I think it doesn't fit into the、uh, the social norm. Um, people think that you are not not just not in shape. It's、uh, you're different.、Yeah. You're not like everybody else. And I think here when you grow up, people tend to. Put you in the box. You have to fit in this box. Otherwise, you're not in the box. You're not accepted. I think it's more like that. Especially when the, with education in China, they teach you that you know you have to be this way. Everybody follow the same. This is the only way. And if you don't follow or if you don't fit in, you're not well worthy. I think that's the、uh, the message that I get. So I was a teacher in a Chinese middle school for several years, and、uh, I know bullying a specific kid for being different is pretty common. The most common things that I hear are like making fun of the fat kid, or making fun of the kid whose skin is the darkest. Like, like when I was a kid, I was a fat kid, and I was the darker skin kid, and I was bullied up until university. Actually, I mean back then you wouldn't call it bully, but people still laugh at you because of darker complexion. Right now, they I don't look at that way, but I used to feel really, really bad in universities. They make stupid jokes, you know. They're they kind of the black stockings, 
mm-hmm. which Chinese people generally don't wear. And one time I was not wearing any stockings, and then my roommates jokingly said, "Are you wearing black stockings?" Which really hurt my feelings. Even my relatives, like you're so dark right now, you won't find a boyfriend like and stuff like that. It's this drastic difference, and yeah, it's very common in China. We shouldn't get into racism in China right now because that's a whole huge broad discussion. But it's like colorism is so strong. The idea that like somebody who is darker is less beautiful is such a strong idea. It might be a bit off the point, but I think a very reasonable understanding of this is that Chinese people, the, the, there's the foot binding, and Chinese women didn't have high, st- maybe still not having、uh, high social status, which means the good women are kept captive, you know, in the houses, which means you're not out there under the sun, you're not being stolen by other people, you're not doing humiliating things and stuff like that. Those are the fam- girls from well-off. Chinese Asian families, and the darker girls are the laborers,、yeah. are the prostitutes, are you know the bad ones. So that was the first time you'd moved to like a new place. Like you've been like a new kid somewhere. What was it like to be like a new kid somewhere? Ah,、uh, yeah, because it's not a different city in Guizhou. I think it would still happen anyway because you're the new kid. The local kids would be, you know. You know, pick you, picking you out, and you know, this is you know, they would do the normal thing that what they do. But the thing is, the language they speak Cantonese. You don't speak Cantonese, you don't fit in, no matter where you're from. So I, I think it took me six years to be able to confidently speak the language. Did that, did that like、um, affect your studying at all? Yes, I remember my mom told me the. She said that one time when I went home, and she asked me if there's any homework. I think it's a math class. Any homework? I said no. And the next day, the teacher called my mom. You have to come to school because your son is not doing his homework. And he got furious. And then I said, I don't understand anything that the teacher said because she was speaking in Cantonese, teaching the class in Chan-、uh, in Cantonese. So I, I, I don't know what she's talking about. Like, what were your expectations for yourself? Where did you see yourself being when you were an adult? Oh, I didn't even think about all those things. I I don't know. I was just stupid, and、uh, every day I don't know what I was thinking. I wasn't conscious. Yeah. I I I only start getting conscious after eighteen. After Gao Kao, after the first time Gao Kao, I felt terribly because I was that bad. Yeah. You know Gao Kao system, right? I do know yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have. Uh, university, then they have college. College is three years,、yeah. and then they have vocational school. Vocational school is like you can you can you can see you can learn to become a chef or become a barber. Yeah, yeah. Th- that is vocational school. So my Gaokao school is only enough for vocational school. It's like a hundred hundred points below the line for university. After that, I just felt like, oh wow, my life is like hopeless. Like if you can't even get into university, what can you do for your life? Clay, what do you know about Chinese education system? Well, I know the most important thing is the Gaokao, which is the Chinese college entrance exam. 
the last year of your high school experience is studying nonstop for the Gaokao. And Lee explains it really well here. It's pretty much controlled in a way that you have to study, you have to take the mock exams, and then you study again, you get better. Any other things unrelated to your study is not in your schedule. And the only thing that you get constantly is from teachers that are pushing you to study more, to be more focused. There's so much pressure around it, and it only comes once every year. So if you were to fail the way that Sui did, you'd have to take it again, and you'd have to wait a whole extra year. And if you want to take it again or again, you have to wait more and more years. Waiting for more years not only consumes time, but is also humiliation. And like in the last year of my high school years before the Gaokao, I was working so hard that I had a bone spur on my neck. I couldn't fall asleep at all at night, but I still had to keep going. That's that's terrible. It doesn't just affect like people personally either. It affects like the entire society. You know, for for even like you know something as silly as like the party scene in Shanghai, they will like crack down on all the clubs around town, etc. And they'll like make sure people aren't out at bars and stuff, so the kids won't be distracted. There won't be any noise during the time that the Gaokao test is happening. Yeah, they limit the traffic. The policemen will be sending the Gaokao kids directly to the, where they need to be. I stayed another year in high school. Just to redo the exam again, that was the year of transformation because I already I, I reached a point. There is no no road out. Right. I spent maybe like fifteen sixteen hours study every day for a year. I was very stressful. Uh, on the second time of exam, I managed to get into university, mm-hmm. barely. Sui felt like her only option was to take this Gaokao. Well, you know, what, like, what is that pressure? Why, like, why does she feel like that's her only way out? Well, strangely, because even within the education system, Chinese people still categorize different educations by levels. Right. Like, university's better than college and better than vocational schools. I have a friend who actually went to Italy to learn to become a chef after he's 17 years old, which is a pretty good path, but still, because of this lower kind of education to be a chef, his girlfriend's family actually forced her to break up with him because his education level is not adequate enough for the family. The fact that his family can afford for him to go to Italy means money is not the issue. It's more about when they talk about their girlfriend's boyfriend or husband, they've got nothing to brag about in terms of, oh, my son-in-law is a doctor, mm-hmm. is a PhD or something. So you can see how going to university is like, it's everything. Yeah. Um, even Sui, in her most confused and kind of rebellious years, she was completely aware that taking and winning the Gaokao system is the only way out. Be- even, even, even though I was stupid, but I wasn't stupid enough to not knowing the social hierarchy, hierarchies yeah, yeah, in society, right? Yeah. You, you want to get into university, you want to get a degree, get a decent job. Uh, you don't want to become a, you know, I don't know, like skill, in Chinese, what is called like a blue color worker. And my, par- my, my parents obviously was saying, if you don't study well, you, you will be a garbage collector or you, <laughs> like you will be a, you, you will do some, 
clean sweep the floor or cleaning the street <laughs> this sort of works when you grow up you know I, I have this idea when I was very young <laughs> But I remember one time, I still remember that, a friend, I don't remember who, and told me, oh, you look at your son, um, telling my mom, oh, you look at your son, he's so handsome and all that, he's all grown up now. And, but my mom said something that I'll never forget, and I'll probably never forgive her either, is that, oh, oh, yeah, he is, but he's too fat. Why would you tell people that, that they can't see, right? That hurt me, I felt hurt. I knew I was fat, of course. You know, why would I let someone else tell me that I'm fat? So that hurt my confidence, especially from my mom. So this is like really his lowest point for him in high school when he's having this terrible weight problem. Yeah, but then he kind of turns the way around by working on it himself. The reason I know I'm 92 kilogram is yeah. not because I want to just want to check how heavy I am. was because I was trying to pick up something on the ground, I, I think a, a pencil or something, and I felt the pain in my, my uh, lower back. So... My dad got very concerned, so he brought me to a hospital to check it out. After all the checkout, and then went to the doctor and asked what's going on, if it's something like organs or is it bones or what it is. The doctor told me that there's nothing wrong with you. You're just too heavy. Yeah. So I think that was the biggest uh, wake-up call. So I started to lose weight, um, dieting, exercising, uh, weightlifting too. I think that's the start of it going to the gym um, immediately about two three weeks I can see the uh, my weight is you know dropping and I can feel that my pants are you know loosen up uh, quite a bit and people can tell that oh wow Lee you got thinner now I said yeah so that's the starting the turning point when I feel oh a lot more positive about uh, what people would think of me and then it became a different struggle for Lee. He wasn't doing well in school. The boredom of school that he described kind of weighed on him heavily. He decided to give up on the process before even taking the Gaokao. It wasn't the weight anymore. I think towards the end of the high school, it was more on the college entrance exam, yeah. the Gaokao that we all know, know of. The struggle with the high school, I was a straight A student from elementary school to middle school until I get to high school. And I was shocked by the, uh, the, the, the difficulty of it. Uh, the difficult part uh, was everybody has to take this exam and everybody has to excel. Uh, you're talking, not talking about just one high school, you're talking about high school in China. Everybody has to take the exam at the same day. Every grade we have a thousand students, roughly. So three years together is a 3,000 students. So everybody can see if you go to that specific area. It's on the wall, so everybody can see. Every time there, when we're done with one mock exam, they will put all the grades out with your name on, on the side of it. Do they rank them? They rank them. So in other words, like the number one student is over here. Oh, on the left, I am on the right, the right. bottom right. Then okay. you can see that, oh, I am not the bottom. I am the second to the bottom. So yeah. that feels really great. Yeah. Yes. Well, and was that, I mean, that did your grades improve or was it like? I, kinda, at <laughs> one point I just didn't care anymore because I felt that I have such a big gap with the other students. Yeah. I just gave up on taking the exam. Right. But my parents pushed me to take it. They said, yeah. take it once in a lifetime, that's it. And then you're done with. You don't have to see it again if you don't want to. Yeah. 
um, the plan B、uh, was going to study in the, in the states. So that I at the the last year of high school, year three, I already know that I'm going to the states. So actually, that gives me a, a lot of break on not giving a shit about what's happening in school. So that felt great. So he was an amazing student when he was younger, and then he got put into a really good high school, and then his he kind of lost his steam because he realized his rankings were pretty low. You, on the other hand, had a very different experience than Lee. Is that right? Right. While me, on the other hand, I didn't have a second choice. I knew it was my only way out, and I knew my mom was working really hard to even to support me. To continue my school at this bigger city, so even when I had no matter what hardships I went through, I just kept trooping on.、Yeah. And there were moments when I thought about quitting, but I knew I had no better options. Yeah, right. Like not everybody gets another chance. Not everybody can work outside of that system. But for Lee, he decided that he wanted to just escape the system entirely, and his 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 parents helped him、uh, apply for schools abroad, and he ended up going to college in Hawaii.、Uh, did they mention the fact that Hawaii is、uh, literally paradise? <laughs> Don't know anything about anywhere outside of China. No, I've never been to any European countries or in, in America. No. I have no idea about the school. I've never been to the school. I've never been to Hawaii. I've, I, I don't know anything about it. But of course, when you starting the preparation for the uh, uh, application, so you search a little bit. But I, I still have no idea what it's like.、Yeah. Uh, it's impossible impossible for me to imagine what it would look like if I go there. It's it's hard to imagine back back then. How would I choose Hawaii? Actually. Decided on applying for the school and not knowing anything about it. Yeah, which which school did you go to in Hawaii? I went to、um, Hawaii Pacific University. So we're gonna wrap up this episode like right here, where both of them are at this turning point. Let's summarize Lee's story. Where is he right now? For Lee, he conquered the problem of being overweight and decided eventually to give up Gaokao system and is really looking forward to study abroad. Right, right, and、uh, and where's Suyi at right now? And Suyi definitely had an aha moment when she realized she doesn't want to be a garbage man in the future, and she just wanted to double down and take down the Gaokao system and survive. So, having heard all of their stories, what impression do you have? Well, in a way, I feel like the system has kind of failed them. What do you mean? I mean, I know their whole story. I know their story from start to finish to to where they are now. Now they're both successful people, and so what strikes me is I feel like there are these systems in China, the school system specifically, that has kind of failed them. The school system is supposed to show who the winners are, who are the real people who are going to go on to have success, the only one that's supposed to be the right course to respectability. And both of them have gone on to have success, but both of them. Really struggled and failed in the schooling system.、Um, yeah, the school system definitely, in a way, failed them. Like Lee was put into a class where most of the classmates and teachers speak Cantonese, and he was just in complete loss. And Sui, on the other hand, her emotional struggles and frustrations wasn't taken care of by any school counseling whatsoever because it didn't exist. Yeah, 
And actually, just to be clear, I don't, I don't want to beat up on the school system. I think it's just there's so many other problems. Well, yeah, I think it's definitely not just in the school system, but Chinese society in general is that people get put into different boxes that are labeled. Like Lee was a fat kid and Sui was a bad student. And for most of the people, this kind of labels go with them for the rest of their lives. Right. And I think that Lee and Sui's triumph here is that they were... They pushed through tough labels that hang around your neck for their whole, your whole life. Right. The final result of Lee and Sui's life is definitely worth complimenting. But you know, honestly, most of the people have a more tragic ending because they don't have the resources to do the same self-liberation. Do you feel that personally? Is this part of your personal story? When I look at my own stories and kind of compare mine to theirs, I can't help but think I didn't have any other options. I could only stick it out. And my mom wanting to be there for me for high school and to take care of the Gaokao well, we could only afford a rental that's like $20 per month. And we moved 10 times during the three years in my high school. But we stuck it out because both me and my mom knew it was the only option. Right, You're, you getting an education was the only way to, to like better your life. Yes, I wanted to better my mom's life and she just wanted a great future for me instead of living the same life as hers. Right, and I, and I think that's unfortunately for so much of our podcast, so many of the different people that we, we talk to, the reason that they get to have these bold and different experiences from the rest of the people are because they're lucky. They're lucky that they were born into a family that's accepting of their differences or they're born into a family that has the means to help them with have a different lifestyle. But for a lot of people, that's not the case. For a lot of people like you, maybe you get maybe one shot to get away. And I mean, I'm also lucky I had a good mom. Mm-hmm. Other people might not even have that. Right. So different people have different reasons to be far away from home. But whoever made it out, we're the lucky ones. Yeah. So we've seen so far their childhood and how they've gotten so far. But um, in part two, we're going to actually talk more specifically of how they've gotten far from home. We're also going to talk about how they're so lucky to have gotten this far and be far away from home to be living in Shanghai. And do not forget that this... The second part of this episode will come out next week, not in two weeks, next week. Part two will be out next week. Stay tuned. You've been listening to Strangers in China. Follow us on Instagram at Strangers in China. Follow us on Twitter at Stranger in China. Strangers in China is a member of the Seneca Network powered by SubChina. This episode was written by Clay and Maggie. Strangers in China is produced by Clay. It's mixed and mastered by Kaiser Kuo. Our title track is Analytical Skeletons by Cezus. Other music this episode was produced by Purple Cat, Dovey, Cezus, Patton One, Lakey Inspired, and Dixie. You can link to all of the music used in this episode on our show page at subchina.com. You can also find notes and research that we used on our show page as well. I want to thank Mike for doing voiceover work for us. Love you, Mike. Thanks to the Shanghai Curious Minds group for letting me record with them. 
Thank you to Nauna Shanghai for letting me use their recording studio. Shout out to Monty. Next week on part two. You never want to go back to your hometown. Oh no, <laughs> no, I can't imagine going back to my hometown. No, I I don't think so. I've thought about it, but it wasn't really on the table for me to think about. Hey, to all my real strangers, this week for your bonus, I actually got a chance to sit down with Suyi's younger sister, the one who caused all sorts of problems for her. And it turns out she's a real sweetheart, and she really loves Suyi. This is a little bit confusing, but Suyi's sister's name is Suyin. And Sui and Suyin are both on this recording, but Suyin, her sister, is the one who's really giggly and has a little bit of a higher voice. But uh, just tell me what your name is. Ah,、uh, Suyin Zhao.、Mm, and how do you know Suyi? She's my sister, of course. But <laughs> I interviewed Suyi, and she said that you were a cause of a lot of pain in her life. But I didn't know that,、oh. and I am not responsible for that. <laughs> Who do you feel is responsible? Herself. <laughs> I wouldn't think myself is be responsible for that. I was only eight. I was too young to be. I would say a, pro- a better way to handle that sort of question would be my parents to educate me or give me heads up beforehand and give me the security and let me know that having a sibling would be fine. What are your early memories of Suyi? I loved her so much. <laughs> I've always wanted to、um, try to be close to her, and I was always chasing after her. Yeah, but she was she was bullying me, and <laughs> it's not that I bullied her. Every minute she was she wanted to play with me, but at the time I was at my twelve or to fifteen years old. So you know the girls at that age always want to chat with friends to get on internet. So like at night, I would be playing, like chatting with my friend, and she would always call me, "Come to sleep with me, come to sleep with me. <laughs> Let's go to bed together." And then I would say, "Okay, ten minutes." After ten minutes, she would come back. Oh, let's go to bed together. <laughs> Then、uh, I was like, okay, five minutes. She would keep doing that for two and three hours until like midnight. I still playing in front of computer. She would just let's go to bed together. <laughs> you see, I was so cute. <laughs> well, not your first memories, but like you got a little bit older. And then what were your ideas about her? She, I think she really taught me a lot when I was young, because um. At that age, I was not too close with my parents. I couldn't say close, but they don't、um, talk to me a lot about like、um, how to be good people. She really taught me a lot at that time, so I, I've always looked up to her and I relied on her a lot.